Hello, everyone. Today is October 20th, and this is episode 16 of our Google Hangouts and podcasts on, podcasts on all things Doxis. I'm Brady Volt, founder of the Volt Firm and Nimble This. With me is John Downey, podcastinator and CMTS technical leader at Cisco Systems. Hey, John, how you doing? Good. Nice, nice title again. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you and I were still recovering from the Cable Tech Expo last week in New Orleans, and uh, we're going to bring to our list listeners the highlights from the from the show. Uh, so, you recovered? Yeah, some recovered. I mean, it'll be interesting because you know originally we decided to do this earlier. We were going to do it Friday. Then BTR decided to do a uh, uh, kind of an update Thursday. So uh, we're going to get our in ours before they do. We got to speak first. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of our, our that's, that's the way we roll. <laughs> <laughs> or people will think we're just stealing from them. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I do want to do a shout out to your wife who made these nice labels for us. There we go. So, so um, yeah, for, for people who are, are just listening to this after the case, we are the number one Doxis um, uh, show. So we had, uh, we, yeah, the number one Doxis podcast. So we had, uh, we had those stickers made up. Uh, so if, if you're seeing my number one yeah, it's, it's, Doxis podcast. And I love P&M. So <laughs> what's funny is like everyone knows Ron Hanek has ribbons going down to his knees. Yeah. And I said, this is one you can't have because you're not part of our podcast. <laughs> yeah. Of course, now he wants to be on our podcast because he needs to get this ribbon for next year. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, with that said, I thought it was uh, a great show, uh, good turnout. Uh, New Orleans is usually a decent place to have a show. Um, it was weird how they set up the workshops the very first day before the show even started. The, sim so well, the symposium on yeah. the first day was, and, and it, you know, I, I was really excited about the, the symposium because, you know, we, I, I, I'm, I'm very security conscious. I really am interested in, in security. So it was a cyber symposium. And, and I think it's really important that people get educated on cyber symposium. However, cyber security. we, yeah, cyber security. Cybersecurity. Yeah. Um, uh, however, we had workshops overlapping, and one of those workshops happened to be your workshop. <laughs> so it's funny is like George Salinger's workshop was before mine at two, and I was told that a lot of people just left the cybersecurity symposium to go start seeing the workshops at two. His was standing room only. Yep. What I did love about how the tracks were set up, I was part of this thing called RF and wireline track. And everyone that was in that track was in the same room, 260. So every time I went to a presentation that I sort of saw that I liked, it was always in room 260 because yeah. we're all on the same track. So his was before mine. So I sat in his uh, standing room only. And then it let out and mine started at 315. And me and an Aris guy were doing the presentation together. And most of those people came right back in again. So it was basically a full house, which surprised me to be the first day of the show before the show even opens up. Yeah, so I mean, I was in. I was also in the cyber uh, security symposium, and and I had the same dilemma. I was, I, I mean, I was enjoying the symposium, but I really wanted to see the the tracks in room two hundred and sixty that you're referring to because they're really focused on relevant issues. It's Doxis three dot one and PNM. I mean, that was that was pretty much the focus of the very first workshop that George Salinger 
was was going to be in, which I went to see, and then yours immediately following, and it was like a mass exodus out of the cyber sec security symposium. Yeah, the uh, George's was great because it talked about what Comcast plans to do, and everyone wants to know, you know, what the 800-pound gorilla is going to do. <laughs> That's Comcast, right? So they, you know, they're shooting for 24 single-channel qualms cross-bonded with 96 megahertz of 1K qualm OFDM, DOCSIS 3.1. When you do all the math, and George went through all the math and what's so great about it and blah, 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 and it was good kind of nuts and bolts of DOCSIS 3.1 and an update, and it was about 1.7, 1.8 gigabit per second aggregate speed to offer a one gig service. Now, typically, from our point of view, Cisco, myself, uh, we say try to have a two gig pipe to offer a one gig service. So they're getting close to that. They also said that because they're not going to update their upstream from 5 to 42, they're not going to go 5 to 85 because it's going to be way too expensive. Uh, they could stick with four ATDMA channels bonding DOCSIS 3.0. And I asked, I said, what are you going to offer on the upstream to offer a one gig downstream? Typically, people would say one gig by 100. But 100 meg from 108 megabit per second aggregate pipe is not a good idea. You're going to starve everybody else. So uh, we think really the industry is going to start pulling that back, really that back a little bit to maybe a one gig by 50 service or a one gig by 60 service. It's still enough for the acknowledgements for downstream TCP. And it's still enough to do, you know, upstream video, upstream best effort voice and all that. Yeah, so I so, thought it was a good lead in. So, so, you know, George talked about this cross bonding um, of DOCSIS 3.0 modems and DOCSIS 3.1 modems in a downstream during his presentation. He reiterated it again during the BTR breakfast on Thursday morning. And, and I really think this is important because it, it just was not something that I, I did not read this in the specification to the point where I understood it uh, when I was going through until all the topics of, until all the discussion has been around it. But I think this is something really important for listeners to understand who who may be thinking about, oh, do I, do I invest in a DOCSIS 3.1 CMTS or do I just stay the route of DOCSIS 3.0 CMTSs? So, I mean, what cross-bonding allows you to do is have, you're going to have a lot of DOCSIS 3.0 cable modems out there, large space of them, and you'll start buying DOCSIS 3.1 cable modems and deploying those. So cross-bonding allows you to have a bunch of downstream SC qualm channels from coming from your DOCSIS 3.1 CMTS. And, and you'll so you, you could have 16, 32 channels of those out there. And then right beside that, you can have your OFDM channels, uh, your OFDM channel, maybe a 24 megahertz block of that running that your DOCSIS 3.1 uh, modems can be connected to, but the bonding, and, and John, maybe you can explain the bonding a little bit more since you're on the CMTS side. I mean, you think about it, you get the physical layer, which is the qualms, which we all know is single channel qualms, which is what we see with Dr. 2 and Dr. 3.0, but the downstreams are always on. There's no sharing of spectrum. You have to allocate downstream spectrum for 3.0, 2.0, single channel qualms, and then you have to allocate different spectrum for 3.1. So allocating downstream spectrum is, that's a hot commodity, right? Trying to find downstream spectrum. So you either do analog reclamation or what we're calling now digital reclamation, going from MPEG-2 to MPEG-4, uh, opening up downstream spectrum, go to one gigahertz or 1.218 gigahertz on the downstream. Um, whatever we need to do to open up some downstream spectrum, throw in a DOCSIS 3.1 channel, could be, the, the specs is minimum 24, but I don't see anyone doing a 24 megahertz OFDM. It kind of be like, why would I do that? I'd probably do a 96 as the minimum, and then maybe a 192 as the max. And then eventually do multiple OFDM channels. 
know, even in our own demo in our in our our booth, we did two OFDM blocks of 192 megahertz apiece at 4K qualm, cross-bonded with 32 single-channel qualms for an aggregate of 4.8 gigabits per second. So, I mean, that's a big pipe that could be shared with 2.0 modems, 3.0 modems, 3.1 modems, a 2-gig service, a 3-gig service, whatever. You know, um, but you could, well, the cross-bonding allows me to, at a logical layer to say, all right, I can do, uh, stripe my traffic across the single-channel qualms and across the OFDM block, and the CMTS knows how to decipher all that and bring it back together. I mean, so it's, um, I think it's a easy, it's a transitional point. We would do this until we get enough downstream spectrum to offer high speed just from a 3-1 modem. Once we have enough spectrum for maybe a channel or multiple channels, then why would I cross bond with the 3-0 channels? Because then you starve those guys out. You would just basically leave them on their own. And then once you have enough OFDM, you would just say, all right, there's a big enough pipe there for my 3-1 modems and just let them use that. But I right. see that as a transition, you know? Okay, I, so, yep. So then we move into your presentation. You had a lot of good points in your presentation. Which, which I, it's funny, it's like, and, and I, I actually thought about this the day before I do the presentation. I said, I told my wife, I said, you know, I've been through so many presentations that you're like just hanging on thinking, all right, just hit the summary. Just give me the summary points. I kind of trust this guy. Let me just see what his summary is, his conclusion. And all the presentations I give, I just talk too much anyway, right? And you so. never, and you never ever get to your summary slides in your presentation. <laughs> that's that's a big problem with you when you when you just talk. <laughs> so as I get up there, one, the guy in front of me was an Aris guy. He did 15 minutes and done. Perfect. I got up there. Perfect. Like, I, love this, I love this guy. <laughs> I love this guy. He gave me 45 minutes left over. I'm like, I'm going to take it. So I get no, up you there. I, 45 minutes, but you did take all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I'm going to do something that I've never done before. And I said, I'm going to start at the end of my presentation. I'm going to show you my checklist and my summary closing points. And then I'm going to go back around and try to explain why I came up with those points. And yeah, which and first it kind of worked out well. History, some people, people actually got to see your summary slides. <laughs> <laughs> and didn't have to read it on their own. Yeah. <laughs> so the other thing I said is, and I didn't mean this as a slight to anyone, but you know as well as I do, you get it a lot of these things that people are reading verbatim their speaker notes and I was like you know I'm not here to read to you you guys can read on your own uh, I have a paper that's 29 pages long it goes it uses Queen's English so it's not like a PowerPoint presentation with you know six bullet points and 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 five words for bullet point just to like spur me on um, some people are still going against that trend of making slides that are size five size six font and like 20 sentences on a page and you can't read it anyway um, so, I mean, there's a time and place for this stuff. So I hit the summary, hit the checkpoints, went back around, showed my, my explanation, quickly went over a, a, a few slides because I was talking so much anyway. Uh, and then I was showing different uh, evolution of 3.1, uh, 12 channels, 24 channels, uh, 32 channels, uh, throwing an OFDM. Why would I do an 85 megahertz upstream versus a 204 megahertz upstream? What could I do with an 85 upstream and then go 1.218 downstream? Uh, so I went through those scenarios, and then my last scenario was basically remote phi. If I can do a remote phi and put the CMTS physical layer chipset in the node, or for our fog for that matter, I really believe we can get a 50 dB MER in the downstream and a 40 dB MER in the upstream. You run those numbers, we can run much higher modulation schemes that are available in DOCSIS 3.1. And that's where things are going, node plus zero, uh, remote phi, 
Uh, and this is further down the road, right? So that's sort of the things I talked about. And, um, and then what was interesting is Paul Brooks from Time Warner jumped up and he kind of corrected me and I'm perfectly fine with that. I like when other people come in and say, you, you know, your, your idea here, we could get around this. And I said, you would never do a 204 megahertz upstream because of coax loss and temperature fluctuations and the temperature effect on attenuation. You know, 5 to 42 plus minus 3 dB in range from the modem. I, I see that all the time, plus or minus 3 dB of modem transmit levels, cold to hot, summer, winter. So we did a test 5 to 85 megahertz. That's you double the upstream. There's a plus 5, minus 5 swing potentially assuming half inch cable, five spans of cable, yada, yada, yada. So I did that math. I'm like, wow, we don't have enough level left in the modems to, you know, do plus five, minus five. And then even if you said minus five, is that a bad thing? Well, yeah, it is a bad thing because if it gets cold out and there's less attenuation, the modems will hit the CMTS hotter. CMTS will tell the modems to turn their levels down, which is fine. But the noise that comes from the low value taps see less attenuation. So the noise rises up for everybody. So in the cold months, you're going to see a higher noise floor if you did 5 to 85. And I said, well, that's probably going to make us do reverse thermal equalizers, which might handle some of that. On the high side, when modems start maxing out, we have to take that into account. Hopefully, a CMTS can adjust. Hopefully, the cable modems have a little bit more level. DOCSIS 3.1 actually gives us a little bit more power level versus 3.0. The Cable Labs ECN for extended upstream power, maybe I could put those in, off of high-value taps. So there's some things I can do to on the high side. And I said, I just did that math for 85. What if we go to 204? I'm like, oh, my God. Five it's going to be like 12 dB, plus or minus 12 dB or something. It's, it's going to be pretty bad. It's going to be ugly. Think about and, it. And now you're, you're just going to have modems going offline because they yeah. can't transmit in the, yeah. in, the, in the summer. And in the wintertime, you're going to have god-awful yeah. SNR. Yeah. yeah. So I said, I said um, 204 makes sense with less coax. It gets rid of the temperature fluctuations of coax if there's no coax. Right. So node plus zero, uh, RFOG. Uh, remote phi with just a little bit of coax. And then, and then Paul came up and he informed me and I, because I said, we don't have upstream AGC in the amplifiers and how would you have a pilot? Because upstream is bursty. Would you have to put a pilot carrier at the end of line of every end of line somehow? And he came up and he says, there's an idea and I, I, I totally agree with it. It's kind of cool. I don't know if it'll ever happen. Um, if you have a downstream AGC already compensating for temperature fluctuations at say, 631.25 megahertz, channel 61, or whatever that frequency, it's like 4, 439.25, I don't know. Um, say you, you have a downstream AGC circuitry looking at temperature fluctuations, because it's all math and you know the coax loss and the mathematics behind it, you can say, if I lost 3 dB of signal at 631 megahertz at 42 or 204, maybe I need to adjust an AGC circuitry by 1.5 dB. Right. You could and, run an upstream AGC based on the downstream AGC circuitry. Yeah, like, and, and it makes sense. You, you have some scaling factor. You're going to have to put possibly what we call a pin diode circuit, which is, you know, some sort of an attenuator circuit in the return path. And you're in order to go to 85 megahertz or 204 megahertz, you have to you have to change out that module anyhow. So we would be able to put that additional circuitry in there. So I think Paul's idea is actually pretty good. It's pretty valid. I've done a lot of work on AGC circuitry and pin diode and stuff before. So the circuitry is so close to the return path. Anyhow, running that line from the AGC 
down to the return path and adding that additional circuitry in there is very valid. It, it would now, it's, it's just now a matter of convincing the, the uh, vendors to put that circuitry in there. Yeah, that, and is there a demand for it if only one MSO doesn't plan to do node plus say one? Is, it, is this really a stepping stone to say, hey, we could change out our modules and not change our architecture? We have node plus five in most of the US. So maybe we'll stick with node plus five and do a mid split. So then, then it becomes, is that really where we're going? Or would we end up redoing the whole architecture anyway to do remote five or node plus one? And if it's node plus one, maybe we still do it. I don't know. You know, would we even have a downstream AGC if we're node plus one? Yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of things we have to see because if we get to the point where we can put a you know I think reverse phi if we get it out there remote that phi. I, I'm sorry remote phi that gives us the opportunity to really expand the return and if we have that expanded return because we I think we have to have remote phi in order to expand return to 85 204 megahertz otherwise we won't be able to re to send back a, a lot of good quality signal without getting rid of the analog laser. So remote yeah, I mean, five is key yeah, to that. Yeah. And, and the 85 or 204 upstream is all predicated on the downstream set-top boxes not being hard set for their legacy control channel. Right now, we're very uh, limited because of legacy set-top boxes. Some of them are frequency agile. Some DTAs are set at 75 megahertz. Well, yeah. I can't even do an 85 upstream because of that. Yeah, and I think you know we have like Comcast just announced that they're they're going all in on IP video. So when when they're going to be a major driver for that, and going to all IP video gives us the opportunity where we'll get the the scale in order to change out. Start you know having someone will give us the ability to change out set top boxes. You know, like the X One platform is one example for that. So getting rid of those set top boxes is going to be key an X1 platform, all the new set-top boxes that we see coming out from non-traditional vendors is, is very clear. I, I think we're seeing a, a tremendous drop in, in, the, in the, the, the current volume of, or we know that set-top boxes are going away. They're, they're dropping off. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a well, lot we, of can, <laughs> we can say that and say, oh yeah, there's only 2 million left, but it's still 2 million. <laughs> well, yeah. It, it, the challenge is, is what's deployed already in customer houses, we have to, we have to replace those. And, yeah, I thought and that it, is a huge hurdle to overcome. I thought it was interesting also, Tony Warner talked at the Cable Labs Doxus 3.1 Interop, and he says, you know, one of the leading things that we're seeing is no one really wires into their modem anymore. Everyone's wireless through yes. their house. So upgrading the modem to a 3.1 modem with better wireless capability is a big thing for them as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, now they might be able to get more speed through the wireless because the wireless is better than what some of the gigabit Ethernet ports on the modem itself. I yes. mean, the demo we did in our booth is we had two modems, Doxus 3.1 capable modems, with four one gig E ports on the back. So we basically had to stripe the traffic or run the traffic across the multiple gig E ports. A gig E port will never get you more than, say, 970 megabits per second. It'll never give you one gig just because it's layer two, layer three, and all that, the overhead. So until we get, you know, a 100 gig E port on a 3.1 modem and CPE that can actually hook up to that, which no one's PC has 100 gig E ports, no one that I know of. Um, but if I do it through wireless and I can get more than one gig on a wireless uh, then maybe uh, multiple devices could just hook up wirelessly anyway and do more than a gig or do one gig or whatever. 
So, I mean, there's kind of interesting ideas about uh, it's not just going to 3.1 with more speed, but also the CPE gives us more flexibility. With your P&M stuff, the CPE gives us more P&M op opportunities as well, right? Right. So, yeah, so that goes into my presentation, which was the, the next day on Wednesday. Uh, it, was, uh, it was on P&M. P&M was a, was a another huge topic. It was like Doxus 3.1 and P&M were huge topics at this show, which it was, it was uh, three years ago that we we released our 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 nimble this pnm platform at SCTE Expo and no one knew what pnm was this year was the year there was like three workshops on pnm pnm displays everywhere at SCT Expo so so this year my pnm presentation wasn't on oh here's this crazy pnm te technology i didn't have to educate people on on pre eq taps pre equalization and stuff like that uh, we did a raise of hands, you know, how many people are using PNM and nearly every operator in the room raised their hands. So people are already using PNM either from Nimble This or they've developed their own in-house solution. So that was awesome. The workshop I did was on how to operationalize PNM in your organization, how to, how, how to uh, set up training programs. We had a thing on PNM gurus. Uh, getting someone in, within the organization that's an expert on PNM and building on successes in the organization to push that back into the PNM organization, and then also setting up KPIs, ways of measuring the success of PNM, uh, like reduce truck rolls, reduce CSR calls, and how that's that's reducing capex and opex throughout your organization. So you're actually demonstrating the return on investment that PNM. Proactive network maintenance is is helping your organization so that the next year when budget time comes up, you can further justify reinvesting in more PNM development, reinvesting in more PNM tools, in further resources that you're going to allocate to proactive activities. And so that again, it was standing room only for a PNM presentation. And uh, it went over really well. I had a bunch of people come up and say, yeah, thanks. And we didn't think about tracking the metrics so that we can go back to our CFO and ask for more funding into our PNM product afterwards. So fantastic uh, standing room presentation in room 260, just like you were saying the day before. Yeah. So this wireline and RF track was a fantastic track uh, with the SCTE workshops. I agree. I think you even coined the term PNM champion. Yes, yes, and and uh, so then the SCT came up afterwards, and they wanna they wanna develop a complete track and training workshop, and we're gonna work with them to help talk about that because we have so much experience now working with different cable operators on developing their own internal PNM champions. We want to work with the SCTE so that cable operators who who don't already have this experience can work with us to help develop their own P internal PNM champions. Because that is one of the key challenges. You get PNM inside, it's like any test tool. If you don't use it, you don't have someone knowledgeable on how to use it, it's, it's going to sit in a corner and collect dust. So that was, that was the big fo focus is on how to operize, operationalize PNM once you have it in the organization. I, I liked your feedback also about um, identifying problems that you found with PNM. 
and using that as a suppository? <laughs> Re repository. I know you like the suppositories, but we like to repository. <laughs> Got to keep it light around here, man. Got to keep it light. <laughs> no, that's. I mean, that is absolutely key because you you find amazing things with PNM, and that, you know, I, I had one of the pictures up there with this really amazing damaged piece of cable. I mean, if you you look at this cable and you say, my gosh. Every modem and set-top box should be offline downstream of the cable, but it wasn't. And but there were some key signatures that that we see using the PNM tool. And so you put that into the repository. <laughs> <laughs> so the next time when someone sees that particular impairment using the PNM tool, they say, "Okay, I know what to look for." If they say yeah. group delay, they see they see group delay. They can say, "Okay, I, this is what group delay looks like." Using the tool, and then you know, there's a bunch of signatures that you yeah. can have, and 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 that's all that pulls back into your internal training tool. Your PNM champion knows what to look yeah. for, and then it, it's just an educational process. Yeah, I call it like fingerprinting. You're making different fingerprints or signatures for different yep. types of problems. And Absolutely. Like you even said it, an if-then statement. If you have this, then you might have this. You know, yes. it's just a simple logical statement. Um, I think it's everything was great there. Even the co-presenter in your workshop, uh, Mr. Hunter from yeah, David Cable Hunter Labs. of Cable Labs, great. Um, you could tell he was, you know, more of a, a lab guy because he was. You could tell how excited he was to be able to get out in the field and actually see some of the stuff at Armstrong in the middle of winter outside Pittsburgh <laughs> last year. <laughs> yeah, they said doing their work. It was just freezing. I was like, oh yeah, I know. I know. You and I both know Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and um, but what I thought was interesting is taking pre-equalization taps and looking at it a different way. And it wasn't just looking at the signature or looking at the taps. It was looking at the taps over time. So if you can look at, say, one modem and the pre-equalization taps are fluctuating quite a bit, they were able to correlate that with maybe impulse noise or not. Actually, it wasn't impulse noise. It was uh, intermittent connectivity. Intermittent connectivity. So, so you're looking, I mean, we're looking at two, two things there. We're looking at the cable modem transmit power varying, and then we're looking at the non-main tap energy varying, which are the, as you say, it's the, the cable modem pre-equalizer taps. And if you get a positive correlation between the non-main tap energy varying and the cable modem transmit power varying, then we say this is a cable modem that has a very high probability of, of letting ingress, noise ingress into the plant. And, and we can see, as, as he said, seven out of the 10 modems, they went in that cold Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh winter to, yeah. to look at. Uh, they found that there was a huge amount of noise coming from. Well, listen, let's do this. Let's, let's run some numbers. He threw this up there, 126,000 modems. He narrowed it down to 500, further narrowed it down to 40. They, went, they only went to seven sites, but he narrowed that 126,000 down to 500 that were showing the same type of signature down to 40 modems to actually go check out. Yes. So it's about 1%. Uh, one to two percent of the modems that we see are are intermittent modems because we we have you know cable labs developed it they you know this algorithm uh, you know David Hunter did a lot of the work on it 
and we put the same feature in the nimble this PNM tool and we call it the intermittent modem report so we, we do this effectively the same thing we correlate cable modem transmit power to non-main tap energy and then we we put up these modems you know called golden nuggets as, as, as they so call them but uh, we see about the same thing about one percent one to two percent of the modems have this really nice correlation factor and then you go look at the modems and same thing it's a high percentage of them are really leaking a lot of ingress noise into the plant because they have a, a loose connector on the back of the cable modem or somewhere in the house or even at the ground block and it that's just letting all kinds of noise come back into the return path I, I just think it's cool that we're exploiting this even more and finding new ways to they might be reactive and proactive at the same time right I mean, yes. you're fixing a problem or you're fixing a problem that's not quite bad enough because pre-EQ is masking it. Yeah, I mean, so, so P&M used to be just looking at the cable modem pre-equalizer data. And now we just keep expanding it to say, how much can we do just with a cable modem and the CMTS? To you know, to look at things, find like intermittent modems, look at upstream spectrum analysis, look at downstream spectrum analysis, all using stuff the cable operator already owns the cable modem and cmts so it, yeah it's it's just awesome we keep finding more and more power in devices that are just sitting out there pushing customer traffic back and forth yeah yeah i agree it was uh it was good i even brought up uh they were talking about doxus 3.1 some of the features and i i brought up during the uh q a i said i even utilized this feature already with a 3.1 modem the reverse sweep feature basically the modem itself can sweep through the whole spectrum now the new 3.1 modems have adjustable or programmable diplex filters. So that way I can set up for 42, 65, 85, 204. What I found with a couple already is I was doing eight channel upstream bonding and one upstream channel was bad. Bad MER, went into upstream bonding partial mode, didn't know what was going on. Used the reverse sweep functionality of the modem itself to sweep through the spectrum. The modem's built-in filter was cutting off right at 42, like a suck out and back up again to go to 85. So it's like two filters were turned on at the same time and then sucking out right at the cutoff point at 42. Yeah, so how cool is that? I mean, there's, yeah, a bug I, in, there's a bug in the modem, right? Is the diplex filter not working right? But yeah. we can use the built-in test capabilities to sweep. We, yeah. we, you know, we're not sending technicians out to sweep. You're sitting, you're sitting remotely saying, I'm going to sweep the plant using the built-in test functionalities of the cable modem and the CMTS. And what's funny is, if you went out the sweep, you wouldn't have found a problem, because the problem was in the modem. <laughs> yes. You know? Yeah, we're, we're yeah. right, because when you sweep, you're only sweeping from where you have the sweep injection, normally close the to, to, the, to the laser, or, yeah, <laughs> yeah. To, to where you're at. You can't sweep from the inside of the modem to the CMTS. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But with DOCSIS 3.1, we can do that, and we can do that in the downstream, too. So it's yeah. oh, it's so awesome. I'm so excited like, about what we're like, going to have. Like, it's like finding a modem like that and knowing it's a certain brand or firmware. I could easily just take maybe that MAC address, put it in a DOCSIS restricted load balance group, and steer it to a four-channel bonding group yes. and not even let it do A-channel. You know, yeah, and, and say, we're going to put it there until we get that firmware upgraded. Yeah. <laughs> we fixed the yeah. problem. <laughs> That's cool. so the other thing I brought up, I said, do you guys, you are on the panel, I said, do you guys see any place where pre-EQ would be a bad thing? And, you know, you, everyone hem-hauled around a little bit. And I said, all right, let me give you – it was a sort of a rhetorical question. It was well, – You, you <laughs> it was and I knew the answer because we tested yeah. it before. <laughs> yeah. And I said, well, pre-EQ sometimes can get um, a little flaky w when impulse noise is around. And I said, well, 
if I have an upstream channel below 20 megahertz, I'm not going to have group delay issues. Typically, I can still have micro reflection issues easily. So pre-EQ is still functional and good for any frequency for micro reflections. Um, but when you get below 20 megahertz and there's known impulse noise, could it be a detriment? Could pre-EQ be worse? Because the impulse noise is thrown off the pre-EQ. Would it be better not to turn on pre-EQ? My thinking there was, I have a lot of systems doing a quarantine channel that might be 1.6 megahertz wide, and then four ATDMA channels for bonding. So the quarantine channel is for DOCSIS 1X modems or DSG boxes. You know, I don't need the speed, I just need connectivity. That's the type of channel where I might say pre-EQ is not really gonna give me that much, or it could hinder me if that channel is in an impulse noise environment. And that's where I'm kind of struggling is, should I turn it on or should I turn it off? Is it the 2.0 modem uh, or 2.0 DSG box? Well, then maybe I'll probably turn it on. If it was 1.1 and only 8-tap equalizer, I probably wouldn't bother. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So, and, and our recommendation was, I mean, pre-equalization -equal, pre just gives so much benefit to, to the return. It, it, I, I would never recommend disabling it. But as what we've recommended before is increase the preamble and, and turn on interleaving. I, I don't think it's, I, even though I know there's, no, there's impulse noise, more impulse noise at low frequencies, I've seen impulse noise go all through the return path, even at, at higher frequencies. So I'm, I'm still, I don't want to turn off um, pre-equalization at low frequencies just because there's impulse noise there. I'd rather deal with the risk of the impulse noise coming in and just do some, um, so, so some of the things that we recommend to do to to counteract the impulse noise, which is longer preamble length and interleaving. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think also it would be one of those things where you monitor the modems, and if their pre-equalization is very active, and they're the only ones being active at that frequency, then that might drive your decision. Like maybe it's looking like. Um, Pre-equalization taps are fluctuating like uh, intermittent connectivity, and it turns out the impulse noise is making the taps adjust more. So it's yeah. kind of a false positive, maybe. Yeah. So I, I mean, after after uh, three three years of production P and M work, and and a year and a half before that of, of field trials in P and M, I still have not seen modems that you know, like you have a large a large, uh, say, body of modems that were negatively impacted by due to impulse noise over any extended period of time. Uh, anything that, you know, say modems fluctuating around from red to green, from red to green, we always found that in almost every case that was due to intermittent connections. Now, say the intermittent connections were due to uh, maybe that was causing some flapping because from red to green of the pre-equalizer, maybe that was letting ingress noise come in. That's fine. Thought. How many channels were at 15 megahertz and below? So, so I mean, <laughs> I, we, we well, at 15 megahertz, I would say no channel. I don't think I, we have channels at 15 megahertz and below. So, so the majority of the channels are always right around 20 or, you yeah. know, right around 20 megahertz. Um, but the, the point is, well, I've seen channels of 20 megahertz that are flapping. Those, those are cut showing up in our intermittent modem reports. Then, and those are the ones where we're seeing them moving and those show up on the intermittent modem report. And that's saying, Hey, we have ingress coming into our plant. So mm -hmm. to the point is 
those are modems. We see them moving around. We, we, we can actually use, possibly in this case, the benefit of the impulse noise causing the, those pre-equalizers to move around as showing up as intermittent modems. And this, this points us to, hey, there's a leak in the plant here. There's noise coming in the plant here. So in this case, that's actually benefiting us, the fact that that impulse noise is causing the equalizers to move around. But this brings up another point of you never rely on one thing to be the gospel. This is why we look at everything, right? Yes. This is why we look at the CMTS uh, correctable, uncorrectable fact. We look at the CMTS MER. We look at the CMTS CNR. We look at the modems at the modem, the downstream levels, all that stuff, the, the pre-equalization tests. We look at everything, right? And I tell people when you have impulse noise, normally on the CMTS for that upstream channel and maybe that modem specifically, you have a lot of uncorrectable fact and not as much correctable. Yes. When you have impulse noise, the forward error correction doesn't work that well, so you don't get any correctable. So if I see impulse, if I see uncorrectable fact incrementing more than correctable, the first thing I think is impulse noise. Then I look at a spectrum analyzer. Then I slow down the sweep speed. I turn on peak hold, and then I see impulse noise, and I verify it. Right. So there's a lot of other things we look at. Absolutely, that's a very good point to to, to do. Take a holistic approach to it. Have a lot, you know, more than just one tool in your toolbox, and and you'll get to the bottom of the problem. Looking at my notes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a bunch of things that I, and which brought up a good point because I asked about, you know, a channel being below 15 megahertz, which you normally don't see. And I don't see it that often either. I mean, we're running out of spectrum. So we're trying to do four ATDMA with maybe a 1.6. So that's at like 15 to 18 megahertz. Um, there was one vendor I ran into that's making a filter that I've always promoted this. How do I get rid of impulse noise and crap below 20 megahertz? If assuming I don't need that spectrum. Assuming I don't have old set-top boxes at 8 megahertz, 11 megahertz, or status monitoring, or whatever, most of that noise, if I can filter it out at the node, I can eliminate a lot of potential laser clipping, because that's where a lot of the energy is coming in, below, say, 18 megahertz. So this company is making now, on a JXP pad footprint, a filter that I can plug right into the node on a JXP pad footprint. So a really small, like 60 dB of rejection. I was like, wow, that's pretty impressive to be on such a small footprint and be able to plug, it, plug into maybe the reverse pad location of a node. Yes. So now all of a sudden, I can filter that. Node. I'm not worried about the amplifiers. They have good dynamic range. It's the node. Analog laser links are still my Achilles heel. So I love the idea. I love the concept because we're, we're, putting, you know, we're putting them in. We're getting rid of the noise. Uh, However, that I mean, like we, like we've seen in the past with the Arcom filters, it's it's great. We get rid of that noise, and then unfortunately, we forget that we put that filter in, and we think, "Awesome, we have a really clean spot below 20 megahertz. We can drop a Doxis channel in there, or we can push a Doxis channel up close to there, and we have problems." And um, so that's <laughs> that that becomes a, the challenge. We just have yeah. to document when we use something like that. We put it in, and where did we put it in? Because then when we, we do want to move DOCSIS down to lower frequencies, we have to remember why that frequency is so clean. My, my visual aid there is if it's too good to be true, then there's something it else going is. on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's too good to be true. <laughs> yeah, if it's that clean and you know something's not going, you're not looking at it properly or something's filtering it out. Um, the other thing I said is someone came up to me and said, uh, if I have, and I told him the Cisco CMTS has this feature called um, direct load, where if a cable modem's MER drops, its upstream MER drops by more than 3 dB in a 15-second station maintenance window, we assume the pre-equalization is kind of screwed up. 
So we send a direct load to the modem to reset it. So he's looking at an idea of turning off pre-EQ on a modem to check to see sort of what the MER would be without pre-EQ and stuff like that. I said, the bad thing is, even if you go into the CMTS and say, uh, equalizer coefficient exclude this MAC address, the CMTS will quit sending it pre-equalization updates. The modem that has pre-EQ on will retain those pre-equalization information maybe forever because it's not getting updates from the CMTS. I said, so you either have to power cycle the modem to kind of clean it out, or maybe we can use this direct load, like a test command to tell the modem, clean yourself out, go back to scratch. Now let's see, well, it might even go offline because the pre-EQ might help keep it online in the first place. But we want to see if that modem's MER is really bad without pre-EQ. Kind of like saying, what is the MER with and without pre-EQ? And it was, I think, his way of kind of testing the modem. And personally, I think that uh, maybe you guys can do this. Can you take the modem's current MER at the CMTS and extrapolate the pre-EQ taps from the modems and come up with an MER of what it would be without pre-EQ? Yeah, so actually, and, and actually we can do that. We can, we can back it out. It's not something that we, we currently do in, in software, but I, I have a MATLAB algorithm that goes back and, and says, you know, we, we know how good it is with pre-equalization on, this is what it would be without. So um, I, I, the concept you're saying, you know, is wipe the pre-EQ co coefficients um, using your direct load. Uh, but if you're using the PNM application, we could actually show what the value is. Uh, we could give you an estimate of what the upstream SNR or MER rather would yeah. be without with pre -EQ, if pre EQ were not enabled. Yeah. Um, Almost so, like saying, how hard is it really working? Yeah, because we know exactly how hard the pre EQ is working, and we can give you an, an SNR estimate. Uh, actually, yeah, we 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 just don't display the S. We know what the SNR estimate is. We just or MER is. We just don't display yeah. the MER, which is with the EQ off, which is and what it would be. All right. What else did we? What else did you see while you're walking around? So, um, so a lot of uh, test equipment vendors. The big thing is getting the new um, the new Doxus three one chipsets in. Um, that uh, that that was a big focus. And I think they're they're coming out with really big meters because it it's uh, the Doxus three one chipsets are are taking up a lot of power. And while to to me. Because I'm so focused on PNM, um, I, I, I'm more interested in the vendors that are coming out with modem solutions that are using like iPhones and stuff, uh, because they can they can have a modem that gives you full band capture that does Doxus 3.1 uh, that, that looks at the upstream that has things like the that allows you to do sweep basically everything that you would pay for in a really really expensive modem. Handheld meter, but they're doing this with a a kind of field hardened cable modem and battery pack uh, at an extremely low cost price because they're they're building it on top of an OEM modem solution. Those I thought were really cool. Um, I did look at uh, uh, some companies that were still just saying, "Well, we think it's a little early for Doxus 3.1." They're going to look at that once the chipsets come out later. Um, company we talked about, the Visor. They have a, I love this little meter that they gave, uh, that they're letting me borrow for a little while. It's the Divisor um, 
DS2800. And this thing, you know, I, I love the AT2500. I, uh, you know, I used to work at uh, Sunrise. It's now uh, a VX meter. But this thing is so similar to the AT2500, except it, it goes higher in frequency. It's a lot lighter to carry around. Uh, it has a, a, a much. It has a Doxus 3.0 chipset in it that I think it's. Uh, it does. Is it 16 by 4 or 20? It has. It it it, it has a higher Doxus 3.0 chipset. But the other things. I mean, it does auto detection between 64 and 64 qualm. It auto detects the uh, channel plan for you, so you don't have to program that all in. It's a really really nice spectrum analyzer, but it also does some cool things in the upstream where it sees like you know like we do with PNM using the CMTS. It also sees ingress under the qualm. So you know for cable operators who are looking to uh, get a, a new head-end spectrum analyzer. This is kind of like a really nice spectrum analyzer, and it's I think it's like 4K or something compared to yeah. the the much more expensive one. So I what like does the up, upstream go down to the upstream spectrum. Is it 585? Is it 0.5 to 85? Is it's it, it's I think it's like 0.5. Yeah, it's it's okay. 0.5, and but but it goes to I think it's uh I think it's a three gig uh, spectrum analyzer, so wow. it goes a lot higher in yeah. frequency. It's, nice. it's a really really nice spectrum analyzer, and the price yeah. is right on it, so that makes I, it. What's the uh, connectors? Are just F connectors? There are F con yeah, there's two F connectors on them uh, because it also gives you, you, you know, if you if you've ever used the upstream signal generator toolkit where you inject a signal in the upstream and uh, like a 16 qualm or 64 qualm to do proofs. Um, to, to see what the channel looks like. I mean, granted, we can do that now with PNM, just using a cable modem and sending that back to the CMTS. But um, so, you know, sometimes you, it, it's nice to have a, a meter like this. And I, I'm just stuck on the cost of it because it's so inexpensive. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice. And uh, yeah, I like the fact that it goes below five megahertz just so I can see AM radio noise and yes. shortwave radio at 3.5 or WWV, the worldwide clock or whatever at 2.5. And so, I mean, it's still ingress I see coming in that causes laser clipping. And normally I don't see it coming in. Even if it comes in, it drops, the diplex photo amplifiers will block it out, but I've seen it come in at the node itself. Sometimes I think it might be coming through the power insertion port of nodes and not really the power inserter that you really should use on the coax to help give you extra RF choking. Right. You know? But that's just another, another issue we've seen, right? Uh, if people go to digital lasers, then we wouldn't have this problem of analog laser clipping. Yep. Then we'd have D to A clipping, <laughs> analog to digital clipping. <laughs> but it's, it's where things are going, right? Um, I, I wanted to point out, I think another thing was I, I saw there was a sound bite for the breakfast panel that you did. Yes, yeah, so there was, there was a BTR breakfast on Thursday morning, and that was live streamed. It's also it's out there. If you look on BTR, you can watch the. Uh, it's recorded, pre, uh, you know, on like VOD, so you can watch uh, uh, at no cost that that whole breakfast uh, interview that you're talking about. So I mean, it was you, George Salinger, I think, Ron Rannick, and who else? Someone else. Uh, Blau, Blau from uh, Cable Labs, and um, uh, 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 Mike from um, uh, SCTE. Um, his name uh, is escaping me at this moment. So. Yeah. So so everyone was reporting, and the press was writing how. Everyone was praising the virtues of Doxus 3.1 and kind of like the next 
coming of the savior of the world. Yeah, yeah it was basically a Doctor Suiwan and PNM conversation yeah. and and, and was, lines and and it was everyone was you know saying yeah this much speed we can get and 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 I know what we're trying to do as an industry is say this is our way of ubiquitously getting giggy speeds to all of our customers ubiquitous meaning everywhere not cherry picking Gpon solutions for business business services over Doxis or, uh, you know, small SM, small business, whatever you want to yeah. call it. Well, I mean, questions um, did come up about like, well, you know, why, why not just go to Pawn versus Doxis 3.1? And we kind of set the reality of, well, you can't just rip all the cost. coax out of the ground, and replace it with fiber overnight. It's just not practical. It's not yeah, cost effective. Yeah. yeah. Especially when you're a publicly traded company. Almost, exactly. You know? <laughs> so, so that, so I saw all these write-ups about blah, blah, blah. And then, Ron Rannick, who is a realist and talks about technology and complexity, and, and same as myself, I would say the same thing. Here's some things we need to look out for, you know, in the trenches. Here's what we need to look out for. And he talked about the complexities will require people to understand how things work, blah, blah, blah. So in the write-up I saw from a press company or magazine that's probably not very cable-centric or likes us for some reason, the cable industry, they said, Cisco exec, which Ron is not a Cisco exec. Cisco exec says the complexities of Doxis 3.1. It's like a soundbite on the negativity. And I was like, wow, they really misconstrued, I think, some of the, uh, the, the, what we're trying to promote here. And it, they just jumped on it. So I don't know if you saw that or not, uh, but it just caught me by surprise of them trying to make more out of it than what it was. Yeah, so this is coming from, I, I think the publication is Fierce Cable, and I, I'm not sure what's going on there, but they, they definitely um, seem to not be, uh, the, the, the way that they're researching and, and covering topics in the cable industry, as, as you said, it doesn't seem to be very cable friendly lately, and I think they also, um, I've seen some articles they've had like on uh, regarding the SCTE right before Expo and stuff, it was really very negative SCTE. Um, so I know that they're not, uh, they're not kind of like with a regular press core in the press rooms yeah, where like yeah. BTR is and CED and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Take it with a grain of sand. <laughs> yeah, you just, <laughs> <laughs> not with a grain of salt, but with a grain of sand. All yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I put, I like salt. I put salt in my food. I don't put sand in my food. <laughs> so, um, I thought that was kind of interesting and, and, um, I just, I know you were there. Uh, I left Thursday night. Uh, I think your talk was Thursday morning. Too early for me to get up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the BTR Sorry, breakfast panel is great. Um, Tim Herms, uh, the uh, owner of BTR, announced right at the beginning of the breakfast that he's retiring, which in the cable industry oh. just means that um, you're going to work slightly less and, and can consult. But um, yeah. he's like handing the reins over to the, the guy that was moderating the panel. I, I think that's how it's working, and he'll be – He'll still be involved, I think, to some extent, but he's you know he's a little emotion over and stuff. So he, yeah. he's a great guy, and it's it's uh it's it was it was a very nice kickoff to the breakfast panel, and and the panel went great. It was you know packed room. They they filled it up, and uh, uh, so that's you know they live streamed it because they the the room couldn't accommodate anyone, but it was a great breakfast, great panel, really interactive. A lot of good topics, and uh, the one thing they were trying to nail George down on were timelines, and it was really funny because George finally looked at the moderator and was like, "How many more ways can you ask me this question?" And, my, <laughs> and the guy's like, I, "I don't know. I'll get back to you on that." 
<laughs> it, was, it was awesome. A great panel. Um, well, I mean, I think I hit most of my my key points. Yeah. So, um, so um, the you know the one thing I wanted to also cover was um, on the floor. We did a number of demos as well. I did like P and M demos and stuff like that. They were always well attended, but none as well as the demo done by uh, Comcast, specifically Larry Wellcott and his team um, at the Cable Labs booth. So we kind of promoted that in my my presentation that he was going to be doing it. Uh, I, I think that day or the next day at uh, it was like three or four o'clock. And it was just, you know, packed. it was just absolutely packed. There was a, I have pictures. There was a mob of people around um, the demo that Larry and his team did. Uh, they were using the full band capture capability in the modems. They had identified a customer's house that um, had a suck out in it. And they had a technician on uh, at the customer's house that was, you know, there. So we could see the suck out. It was really visible. This, this is live. live right? This is yeah, yeah. This is this was live. So they 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 found the suck out. The technicians at the house. They called the technician, and they're like, "Well, we're, we're going to wait for the technician to to find out where the problem is." And so it was, it was about ten minutes. You know, Larry's going through some other slides, explaining stuff. We get a call back from the technician. He's like, "I think I found the problem," and um, they rescanned the modem. You know, did a full, another full band capture to get the data back using SNMP over the modem, and the suck out's completely gone. The whole response to the modem looks so much better. And uh, you know, I think for people who maybe don't have these tools or haven't seen this before, it was just like, wow, that is totally amazing to to be. You know, able, what, you know to, what would make this even better? Make the technician wear a GoPro. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you can see him like going through and taking connectors apart and putting it back on live video feedback. Yeah, that would that would be better. So. And, and that might be where we're heading as the industry. You know, you think That's about true. it with putting cameras on police and stuff. We can put cameras on yeah. technicians. What a great training way. What a know, great way to like you said, training you videos have, and stuff. So you have a technician who yeah, really you know knows how to do stuff. And, and like, like you said, you have a P and M champion following him along and saying, well, according to that, the response I'm seeing, um, and you're showing me the coax and stuff, it's probably between the ground block and the modem, um, maybe at the splitter or whatever. So maybe that guy actually is kind of training him as he goes. You know? Yes. I mean, we're changing so much as an industry where the only way you'd be able to see something like that before would be to take I mean, if you think, <laughs> I think loyal, loyal order of the 704, you know, they're looking at this and saying, oh my gosh, if I had that equipment, <laughs> this guy's carrying a big box that of this <laughs> around. And now we can sit in an office at a desk and say, oh, yeah. I have a suck out in this subscriber's yeah. home. And are all, you know, all the subscribers off of this line extender have suck out. So it must, it's not in the home. It must be at the line yeah. extender. I mean, this is, it's mind blowing. It's so exciting. Yeah. To see this stuff happening, and and so when Larry was giving this demo, uh, you know, there's th those of us have seen are like, oh yeah, I've seen this a dozen times. Those of us who haven't, it's just like, this is awesome. I got to get me some of this. So, <laughs> that was a great demo that they did. Yeah, I agree. That, that was cool. So, yeah. So I think that was the show. Um, in summary, as seen by <laughs> me and you, and uh, it's awesome to have seen how Doxus 3.1 has come so come together so, so quickly. rapidly from the yeah. spec to hardware that's that's working. As and I think George Salinger reiterated that a number of times. 
it's awesome to see how PNM has come together from you know some tools that we introduced just a few years ago that people were like, what what is this PNM mumbo jumbo to now where everyone's like, I gotta I got PNM or I gotta get me some of that PNM. So I'm yeah. super excited about that. And uh, it was a great show. I had a great time. I was super exhausted at the end. And uh, glad to get home and sleep in my bed. So, <laughs> <laughs> me too. Not in your bed, though. I wasn't in your bed. <laughs> Believe me, man. I'm glad you weren't in my bed too. <laughs> so it's funny. I have to throw out this one word. Uh, as me and your wife Mia were watching, you know, the demonstrations, you were right beside us, and one was yours. Um, the workshops, and uh, the word of the day was riveting. <laughs> Sometimes it was tongue-in-cheek. Tongue other times it actually was riveting, but other times it was just tongue-in-cheek, riveting. I know what presentation you're talking about. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so um, that was a good wrap-up. I mean, it was a good show. Um, and then you and I can talk about what we're going to do for the next one, right? Next Google right. Hangout. Sounds good. John, as always, it Thanks. was a pleasure. Take care and have a good one. You too. All right, we'll Oh, <laughs>